When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A Dadsnet original podcast. I'm Al, that's JK, and he's just stuck his middle fingers up at me. Get your feet off my desk! Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> coming up on today's show, we're talking to the stuntman, the action man, Andy Talbot, who is uh, Daniel Craig's stunt double in with the Bond film. Oh, we're in our element. This guy is insane! Honestly. Like, if I had a man crush, I'd have it on him. I think it's one of the finest interviews ever, just purely for our sort of anorak man crush. He's so manly. Everything oh, about him is just so manly. So manly. So that's coming up. That's quite interesting. Uh, we've got another parenting story. And what's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? All that and more coming up on the JKNL show. Um, I. This is a thing that happens with women. Oh, here we go. Our partners, I should say. Yeah. Where I get a text, right? I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you an example. This is what happens. So I get a text, right, from my parents saying, come around for dinner at one o'clock. Yep. Okay, so I said, Jen, oh, mum says, come, mum sent a text. She says, come around for dinner at one o'clock. Yeah. She says, oh, what are we having for dinner? I said, well, I don't, I don't know. Right. I just know that we've got to go around there for one o'clock. Yeah. She then says, okay, do they want to do anything after after dinner? I'm like, I, I don't know. She just said, come around at one o'clock, <laughs> right? So, so then she says, uh, um, uh, okay. And, she, and she's like trying to get more and more information. And I'm like, I don't know. All she said was, come around at one o'clock. Yep. So then Jen turns to me and goes, well, what do you know then? So I go, I know we've got to be there at one o'clock. <laughs> Like, I'm giving you the information on the deck, so you stop asking all these questions. <laughs> or rephrase it to be like, can you ask her if we'd like... She says, do we need to bring anything? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> just got to be there just at one o'clock. just got to be there at one o'clock. Have we got to be there at one o'clock with something in yeah. our hands? I don't know. Do you know what you need to do? All right? So when I used to work on TV shows, they did the call sheet. You know the call sheet yes. is, right? So you need to now give her a call sheet. At the top... Parents, 1 p.m. Yes. Yeah. After that, the coordinates of where the parents live. Yeah. You need to do who's cooking what. I know. What dessert is. Um, are we going for a walk if yeah. you need wellies? But bugger me, we just won't go. <laughs> bring bring the dogs or don't bring the dogs. You know, yeah. it's up to you. Yeah, can we take the dogs? I don't know, <laughs> but I know we need to be there at one o'clock. <laughs> okay? I am giving you all the information I have. Right? It drives me mad. It drives me mad. Honestly... Right now, there are there are people listening to this applauding you. Yes. Because that yes. is absolutely bang on. You're welcome. Whilst we're on the subject of can we take the dogs, yes. at the moment, I am really pissed off with my dog. Right. I love my dog to bits, Coco. Yeah. Cocker Spaniel, love her. Yeah. But she's really not taking the piss, she's taking the shit. <laughs> she, I know what you're going to say. Is it, is, it, what, is it another particular animal we're going to talk about? And does it begin with F? Yes. Foxes. Fox what is it with fox poo and dogs? Well, I do, but the, I've got friends that have got other dogs, and I'm like, does yours roll in fox poo? They're like, no. My oh, my, my last dog, Isla, a Labrador, a yellow Labrador, thank God she didn't go in fox poo. She never rolled in fox poo. Yeah. I think it's a spaniel slash 
sausage oh, dog it, thing. Mind it. I don't know why though. What is it about the do smell? Do both do it? Yes. Do you, and, mm, yes, they do. Well, actually, I've, there's a video of you. They actually queue up. One of them finds it, <laughs> rolls in it, and then he goes, your turn. After he you. moves over. Next one, sniffs it, rolls in it. <laughs> and it's when you see them roll it, you go, no! Yeah, because you know, you know what they're doing as well. Oh. Yeah. Um, there was a fantastic video of you having to clean your dogs, which I remember, which was on your Instagram, which I've saved. Let's remind ourselves of that. You all right, babe? No, I'm not all right. I didn't know she was filming. Stupid. Rolling. Why do they do it? Disgusting habit, these creatures. It's all over the collar. No one else washes them either, so down to me. Wash fuck off of their fur. God. Do you want a cup of coffee? Mm, yes, I do. <laughs> and God, ah! Thank God this one had his hair cut yesterday. Can you imagine? Imagine matted fox poo in long hair. Can you imagine? God, it's always sloppy as well. Certain <laughs> Do you know what I wish with that video? I hope that Jen would left the video, like left the phone videoing you and you walked off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know she was videoing. My it's God. so good. The thing is, it's just revolting. And and when you like, it's always on those occasions where you're going somewhere yep. and you just think, oh, right, I'll quickly walk the dogs before we go out. Yep. So you run them around the park. Yep. That's when they do it. Because yep. then you can't, oh, I've got to get home. And then I've got to wash them because <laughs> I can't leave them. Fox poo. And you're in, you you get soaked doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Forever. Do you know what the worst bit of this? It is a vicious circle. Yes. And shall I tell you why? Because you wash them, you wash them with some nice doggy shampoo. Actually, I use Child's Farm because it's it's got nothing in it. It's fantastic. Hashtag so you, not an ad. Not an ad. So you wash them, okay? They smell all lovely. Then you put their doggy mm. toiletries on them. Yeah. They smell wonderful. What do they want to do on the walk next time round? Yeah. They, they hate the smell. Yeah. So they want to get fox shit back on yeah. them again. So do you think they like the smell then? They, 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 I think they love the smell of fox. It, it's like their Chanel. <laughs> Imagine that ad. Fox shit from Chanel. <laughs> I can see Margot Robbie advertising yeah. it. <laughs> fox shit from Chanel. And there's a load of like sausage dogs and cocker spaniels surrounding yeah. it going... Uh, yeah, yeah, and then there's Margaret Robbie going. <laughs> no, 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 no. She's she's got her ear right, and she's rolling herself in it. <laughs> yeah, she's on the she's on the ground, yeah. bum up, going. Yeah, the new the new scent from El Foxe Chito. <laughs> Foxe Chito. <laughs> And you know, and in the advert, right, when she's put it on her, do you know she washes it off? <laughs> she goes into, we dip her in a river. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just give her a quick scrub before With a dock leaf. <laughs> we should definitely do an advert. We need to Ch- do a spoon. Charles Farm. That's your next marketing oh, campaign right there. Foxy, she talk. <laughs> With with Daniel with David Gandhi. Oh right, let's do a parenting story. <laughs> right, parenting story. Uh, it is a email. Hang on a second. No, this isn't an email. It's an email from our producer Jack. Oh my god! <laughs> What's happening? I can't see. What is happening? You obviously don't know about this either. No. The ick. 
So, boys, the other week you talked about the ick. Things people do that put you off them, basically. It gives you the ick. Well, producer Jack, me, has been in touch with your wives, Charlie and Jen, and asked them what gives them the ick about us. (laughs) What is going on? Uh, I've jumbled up the list. We have to guess who said which one. This is not what he said. He said he's sending a story from his friend who listens and has sent it to him. Oh, you swine. So we've got to guess. So this gives our partners the ick. We've got to guess which one said it. Oh, God. When he wheezed with the bathroom door open. <laughs> I think that's me. I do the same thing, though. <laughs> it's more about which of our wives doesn't mind it. <laughs> right, hang on a second. Is that a you? Well, let's leave it at that, then. We'll do the answers at the end. Okay. When he speak burps definitely me that's you I don't do that that's definitely you I do all the time <laughs> do you do that I love doing it me and my brother used to try and burp supercalifragilisticexpialidocious <laughs> I love doing it and now I'll do it like if she calls something and it just coincidentally concises me burping this next one is you as well <laughs> when he strips down to his pants and does weightlifter poses asking if I feel lucky <laughs> with you he's gonna this is what I do right oh my god he's he's naked (laughs) oh look at that camera shot (laughs) stretch in the mirror (laughs) like this like this this is like this like this like this like this like you might be me definitely you you have a tummy ache all the time because you've got gout or something because <laughs> I've got gout or whatever it is indigestion number five when he sucks his tongue in his sleep because his mum let him suck a blanket until he was a teenager <laughs> <laughs> that, that's you <laughs> I don't think it is. It's also not true. I wasn't a teenager. <laughs> I was like 10 or 11, right? Uh, looking like his dad when he sleeps. You? <laughs> I don't know what my dad looks like. It must be you. How does your dad sleep? It's guaranteed that's me, and I'll tell you there's a reason for that. Uh, the weird little baby noises he makes as he falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it. It's just like... Mm. Is that you or is that me? Mm. It could be both of us. Mm. Could be both. Uh, And uh, number eight, when I say, what would you like for dinner? And he says, I know what you'd like for dinner. And motions towards his groin. (laughs) 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 What are you like? Oh my god! <laughs> right, should we get the answers? <laughs> Actually, do you know what? Should we do the answers at the end? I think she's making it up. <laughs> Let's do the answers at the end. Okay. All right. I don't know. We don't know what the answers oh are. My god. <laughs> right. Let's do an interview. <laughs> Who is it today? Oh, yeah, we talked Andy about Talbot. it. Andy Talbot. Roll Talk. the tape. Roll the tape. Woo!
every now and again, I don't know if this is a good lead in, but every now and again, I get a little bit uh, like man crushy. Yeah. And this is definitely up there with the best because we've got Andy Torbert, who is, let me just get this, let me just get this right. Uh, professional cave diver, free diver, explorer, stuntman, Team GB skydiver, outdoorsman, ex-para commando. And in honor of all that, We've actually brought a little model of you with us. So welcome, Andy, <laughs> to the podcast. Right, That's right. Is that correct? That's all correct. That was a flawless lead-in. Flawless. Uh, Thank you. And actually, I was the voice of Action Man. Yeah, I'll, I'll, come on. Yeah. Really? So we, yeah, with the BBC. So when I did a lot of presenting for the one show and playing with BBC in general, um, they, um, they called me up and they said, um, we're going to... Action Man's 50th anniversary is a few years back yeah. uh, and so we're doing a little um, film for the BBC about Action Man and I was like oh because I, I was a kid obviously man of a certain age that's all me and brother how is Action Man you know and I said oh I'd love to be involved and they said oh great and they said oh, but we've already filmed it and I was like oh well I don't know why you get in contact with me then if the job's done <laughs> um, they said no what, what it is is Action Man presenter so Action they did stop animation you know and they're basically Action Man goes into the real world and investigates his history. Um, and they did it all. It was BBC Wales in, in Cardiff. And so we need somebody to voice over to be the voice of Action Man. I was like, you are joking me. So Amazing. um I uh yeah I went down to Cardiff and did the voiceover for so I was I was for Amazing. one time the and you you those are people like contact me on social media things like that and saying, you know, Action Man's not Scottish. And I was like, Action Man is 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 who is, is has the accent of whichever kid owns the action man. Yeah. So yeah. all my action men were Scottish. Exactly. So the action man in the film therefore must belong to me. Uh, I probably feel go. like most of mine were Scottish as well, to be honest. Because I it, actually think Scottish sounds a bit more powerful. It just feels harder, doesn't yeah, it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the the angry jock accent. Yeah. Um, is, but you is, are I've you are done. a real life action man. Like you're you know, you're a stunt man for movies and films and TV yep. and stuff. Yeah. As well as the, you know, the pro skydiving and things like that. So, wh- why don't we start off? Um, just tell us a bit about the stunt side of, of your work. So, I mean, for, there's been, I suppose, there's two sides. There's the sort of TV documentaries, and then there's the movie stuff. So, the movie stuff is what you think of as the classic stuntman stuff. That's you know, doing stunts for the movies as you or anti TV that you would kind of pitch in your head when you think of stuntman from the the. TV point of view, the, the, the documentary point of view, it's that I've been presenting on off on telly for about ten years, but but that's always been based on my um, sort of know, technical background rather than my ability to be just professional presenters are really good presenters my my career has not been based on how good a presenter i am it's been based on the fact that i'm effectively the the monkey that you fire into space but they don't want to you know would risk any human beings so it's usually those things where like somebody needs to go cave diving or when we dive the britannic which is a, the sister ship of, of Titanic, which sits sort of 400 feet deep. That's the rebreathers and mixed gases. That's really technical diving, you know, or, or big climbing stuff or skydiving stuff on science documentaries. So they'll wheel me in because they can't find a proper presenter who, um, you know, who can jump out of planes or go cave diving. Yeah. Well, they're um, all too valuable, aren't they? The, the, the A-list is way exactly. too valuable. Their insurance won't let them do it. And, and God bless them, because if, if everyone was like Tom Cruise and did their own stunts, we'd all be out of money. Us, the stunt guys would all be out of yeah. business. So, um, <laughs> I know. I'm so, all for actors who don't want to do their own stunts. <laughs> <laughs> so give us a couple of uh, shows or films that we might have seen you in without knowing we've seen you in it. 
Uh, well, of, of the of the TV, the documentary stuff, you'll see me because I'm sort of front and center. You know, when it's, I'm playing me. Film wise, uh, I was involved with the James Bond film a few years ago, No Time to Die. Uh, I've done a little bits on on Fast and Furious. Um, 10 recently and then there's a there'll be a series coming out next year called Masters of the Air which is like a a follow-on from Band of Brothers which was like a classic thing when I was in the army Amazing. with the um, the Band of Brothers TV series this one's about the bomber pilots rather than about the, the airborne soldiers but um, I did some st- stuff on that and also the skydiving sequences on that and, and free fall stuff uh, with others with, with friends of mine there's, there's, there's three of us that did it um, and then yeah, what else have we done that's come out? A lot of stuff hasn't really come out. I mean, I've done bits and bobs. There's a few. Yeah, a lot of the stuff I've done the last couple of years hasn't come out yet. So, um, can, can I ask? Else? Yes. So the the skydiving side is, um, like, mm. you know, you're well averse in the in the skydiving realm. My brother-in-law is a pro skydiver in the states, um, oh, and he trains some of the seals, I think, or he he was involved in something. But um, so I did a skydive with him absolutely shat my pants <laughs> but did it but you also do the the cave diving side of things mm-hmm. and the documentary that comes to mind is the thailand rescue of the football team yeah did you have any involvement in that maybe not but i'm just it just came to mind those are those old friends of mine so i was away at the time um i don't know john and jason that well but i know them i know rick really well who's mm-hmm. sort of the team leader and um my main cave diving partner in the um is chris joe so chris joe was on that and and Josh Brackley and Noel and, and Connor Rowan and well as well. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fairly small community. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot more. Those guys, those ones went out. There's, there's you know, there's another dozen guys, twenty guys in the UK who could have easily mm-hmm. have, have helped out with the same sort of skill set. Um, but there's not that many active cave yeah. divers in the UK, and that doesn't mean British people who go cave diving. I mean cave divers in who cave dive in the uk and i say i'd make the distinction because you know i cave all around the cave dive all around the world france has some amazing caves and 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 florida and mexico and places like that a lot of these caves are gin clear you know you you carry your dive kit just a a few meters down to the water's edge and then you get in um it's huge big open spaces whereas the tunnel in thailand was much much more like what you see in the uk which is nil visibility. It's flowing water because it's basically an, an underground river. Um, you know, very muddy, very silty, very limited visibility, and also you have these dry passageways. So if you imagine the the the, the, the tunnel itself isn't completely flooded, you might have a, a flooded section for hundreds of meters, but then you go get out of the water and then hump all that diving kit. So you're now caving, wearing dive equipment through a dry section to then get to the next sort of sump pool which takes you into the underwater section and do that multiple times. That's a very, very British um, sort of style of, of, of cave diving, cave exploration. And that's why these, the, the British team are well suited for the conditions that uh, were out in Thailand. Wow. So how did you, so the stunt work, did that come later? Was that sort of like after military or did you always growing up want to be a stuntman? I mean, no, I, I mean, thinking that at one point I actually never did it. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, I think the world's a different place. Like when I, when I grew up in the Highlands of Scotland, I'm a working class lad. You know, your your horizons are pretty limited, um, because that's just you know you stayed in your lane. You know, the, the idea of I don't know representing Team GB at skydiving would never have occurred to you know a nine year old kid grew up in the you know Highlands or, or Aberdeen in the eighties. Um, whereas I think now with things like social media, and that your horizons are massively broad, so people people can be exposed to 
you know, professional stuntmen or professional athletes and all this sort of stuff. You go, oh, people can actually do this. This is actually a job you can go and do. So for me, because my mum said the family were all farmers and my dad said we're all coal miners and the coal mines were shut down obviously in the 80s. So there was no work around really. One of the few ways of kind of getting out, if you will, was to, was to join the forces. Um, which my brother did at six, my older brother did it at 16. Um, so I think joining the forces was always what I was going to do. Um, and then basically when I left the forces, because you get to the point where you're going to be promoted behind a desk, it's inevitable with any career that, that sort of comes. Um, and, you know, 30, 32 is relatively old in the forces. Um, whereas, you know, I know I think in, in, in normal life, it's that's still pretty young. So we tend to, and it wasn't just me, we tend to hemorrhage people at that sort of age when they're like, we don't want to sit behind desks yet. Um, so I left and I worked in the X-Forces kind of world for quite a few years just to pay the mortgage and to fund my own sort of projects and expeditions. And then I moved into the TV documentary world doing safety for like climbing, diving, skydiving safety, then end up on front of camera on a few bits and pieces. And then really it was, um, I'd done some little sort of stunt work, if you will, on, on sort of movies before, but the big one was, was when I started on on Bond. Um, and I was only meant to be on Bond for the first three weeks and stayed on it for the whole year, pretty much. Um, wow. Just because you, you, you realise you have these useful skills that that not many stunt uh, stunt performers have. So, um, yeah, they kept me on. Well, other than like the obvious of like driving a car fast around a corner mm. or jumping out a plane for the shot where Bond is skydiving or whatever what other there's probably a lot of other layers to the role like you were saying like skills like is it is there a lot of advisory like if they want to do something you know what what else yeah is i there? mean so i did a lot of safety stuff safety safety actors are other stunt guys and in the water you're advising because there were scenes that, that weren't filmed in the end but one scene was going to involve like him using an underwater cutting torch and obviously i should those things both commercially and in the military so i was advising actually i wrote the, was writing the risk assessment how we could do this safely and without any any safety gear on at like the helmets and that, um, but still make it safe, but still make it look really cool. Um, then, you know, within the stunt world, there's, there's certain key things. You'll get specialists in martial arts, but everyone is, is reasonable at martial arts. Getting the British Stunt Register, you've pretty much got to be a successful boxer, kickboxer, or have at least one black belt in something, you know. So um, it's not a great idea to start a fight with a load of stunt performers because they've all got at least a black belt each and a lot of more than one um but then you get fight coordinators and fight arrangers they're specialists in that but everyone's got a basic level you know as a stunt person you should be able to take a hit i.e pretend to get punched in the face or shot like to and, and take a fall um and help with that and then you've got other skills some people are, are you know are, are either good at or specialists in, in motorbikes or cars you know um but usually you've got you know a few different areas where you're good and then a couple of areas or maybe one where you're a specialist so for me be, being ex-military helps a lot there's surprisingly not as many ex-military stunt performers as you'd think in the uk but but um you know it's really handy a lot of action films you know stunt guys don't tend to get involved in a lot of dramas or thrillers it's normally action films there's a kind of military usually military things happening so you know the military side of things uh even with the climbing uh, and mountaineering, kind of when I was an instructor and guide, that, that rope work can help when you're rigging stuff or doing abseils and things like that, which we did in Bond. The underwater stuff's clearly my main thing, and that's everything. You know, again, but breath hold is probably more important than being, being a cave dust. The free diving that I do is probably more useful for stunts than anything. Uh, and then finally, skydiving, uh, as you mentioned, is yeah. can be quite handy. Do you, 
do you do you ever get scared? <laughs> like, are you aware of the mm. risk? Mm. Do you ever get like scared? Is there anything that you'd be like, nah, I'm not doing that? <laughs> well, no, the, the, I don't think there's anywhere to go. Well, that's not true. Actually, I think one one occasion. So, normally, the answers yes, I get scared, but no, there's nothing I wouldn't do. Um, it's all a matter of calculating. So I, you know, I, I'm friends with and work with some of the best skydivers in the world, some of the best cave divers in the world, some of the best stuntmen in the world, all that sort of stuff. And, and the outside um, kind of images that were all these Red Bull drinking, adrenaline junkie maniacs with a death wish. And the exact opposite is true. You know, I'm probably the most cautious and paranoid person mm-hmm. you're likely to meet. Uh, and, and I can back that up by the fact that I'm still alive. You know, so in the forces, I was involved in a lot of, of high risk search in counter-terrorism, and then bomb disposal. So airborne bomb disposal, underwater bomb disposal. And then now professionally it's cave diving, skydiving, stunt work. And the very fact that I'm still in one piece, I think I think is at least evidence that I might I might actually have a clue what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And it's all a matter of doing a risk assessment. It's, it's as dull as that. You go, right. And, and for caving, is a, sorry, cave diving is a prime example. So cave diving can be done very, very safely. It's not the cave that will kill you. It's it's how and what you do. It's like crossing the road. A road isn't necessarily dangerous. It's how you choose to cross it. It dictates whether you can get hit by a car or not. Now, cave diving, although it can be done very safely, is pretty binary. It's, um, you know, normally gets injured cave diving. You know, there's not this graduation of like, like maybe in skydiving or climbing where you could, you could twist an ankle, break a leg, break your back, be in a coma, die. Cave diving is everything goes well, you come out alive, Everything goes, something goes badly, but you fix it and you get it alive. Everything goes badly, you don't fix it, and you don't come out alive. That's, that's pretty much just pretty binary. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that I'll sit at home, you know, with the project, and I'll sit there you know, in my pants with my mug of tea or whatever, and go, right, and let your paranoia run right. What's all the things that could possibly go wrong? The important things, I mean, like, you know, things that could seriously injure kill you. And then you make that long list and you go, right, how can I prevent these from happening? And you can never give a 100% guarantee. It was Clint Eastwood said, if you want a guarantee, buy a toaster. So you, you go in. Yeah, I like that one. So, so uh, legend. Um, so you, you, know, you look at the list and, and, and if things like, okay, well, that's probably a, that's a million to one chance. And if it comes off, I might get injured, but I won't die. I'm, I'm happy that it's kind of inverted commas prevented. So you weigh up those odds. And the things that you're not happy with, that you, you can't 100% guarantee that will kill you if they come to fruition, then you can put in redundancies. The prime example is my rebreather. So I use a rebreather a lot, which is basically recycles a single breath. It's the same technology that astronauts use. And um, it allows me to go much deeper for much longer when I'm underwater. Now that rebreather has never failed on me, not once. But because if it does fail, I'm going to die. I assume it's going to fail. And at the worst possible point, I the furthest point from the entrance, the furthest point inside this underwater cave, Every time I jump in the water, and I've got I carry redundant gas supplies to bail out onto, so I've got you know I've got backup systems, um, and so by doing that, you you stay in one piece. It's the same application that you do to stunts. You know, stunts are all about making things look really dangerous uh, and cool, but actually be super super safe. Because the priority of all these things, I mean, there was real occasions in the forces where this wasn't the case, but nowadays, whether it be exploration or science or or documentaries or films nothing's worth dying for or, or, or hurting yourself or anyone else for. So, um, you know, making sure everyone goes home at the end of the day should always be the priority. Yeah. Wow. 
it's and like um i mean there was that there's that high profile case i can't remember the guy's name you remember it someone got shot on set of a film recently uh alec baldwin, alec baldwin. Yeah. yeah and i presume that obviously everyone did all those safety steps and it was just that like one in a million anomaly that went wrong but like you're saying if you t- if you do everything you can to make that list of things that you know to avoid things going wrong yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't. I can't give definitive comment on, on that case, but from what I've been told, um, you know, and it, and it's very easy with the power of hindsight. And I and I hate when people do this. You know, you see it in the force of people kind of after the battle was was making making sort of judgment calls. But I think in that case, there may have been one or two steps that were were missed out that. Mm-hmm. That, that that you know a, a normal, which again is why you want to choose your team. It's why who I cave dive with, who I skydive with, who I climb with, and, and who I do stunts with. I, I'm I'm very particular about. Ah, um, that was my next question: whether I could come skydiving with you. No. Well, yeah, skydiving is fine because <laughs> well, it comes to this. You know, if you, if you always do, because I mean, I teach skydiving as well, so you jump out with some r- real novices, and that's fine. Because in in those sort of terms, unless if we're doing a big stunt where we're setting each other on fire or something like that, then you want to make sure the guy that you're jumping yeah. with, you know, is has got your back. But um. You know, the good thing with skydiving is that um, if, if people are acting like absolute idiots, you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to leave you here and get out and go. I'm just going to track away. So you do you get your Iron Man position on and you just, just zoom away from them. So, uh, so, um, and it's a bit like cave diving, really. You know, you, you, you even though I cave diving teams, sometimes two or three man teams, you have to look after yourself. So you can't use the body system. You do it, think, oh, if this goes wrong, he will save me. That's not fair on him and it's not fair on you. Because, so, you effectively are solo diving on every dive. Yeah. Um, but still, you don't want people who might be liabilities, um, especially if it's a really tight cave and they have a nightmare and get stuck and they're behind you because then suddenly you can't get out because they're, yeah. they're stuck. If it's a tight cave, you will get stuck. <laughs> so um, I think we should just, we should avoid that. Okay, let's move on from that. <laughs> Andy, was there, was there any point where you saw your life flash before you? Have you ever had any sort of close calls? Yeah, probably a couple. Um, oh, actually... Before I answered that, I just realised because you asked me if I if I had gone nah, tons of said tons of down. There was one on Bond, so we built this ramp that you've probably seen at the huge motorbike jump that Paul yes. Emerson done. So, but he's a Paul just does stunt bikes. That's his one thing. He doesn't do anything else. He's a specialist. He's an ex world champion, I think, motocross world or enduro world champion many times. Ninja on a on a motorbike. So we built this ramp, and and the stunt coordinator, the sort of stunt head of the stunt team, was there, and um, he looked at me and went, "Would you reckon? Do you want to go over? Go, you know, would you go for it?" And I was like, no, that's not a ramp. That's a vertical wall you're asking him to drive up and then jump over. <laughs> so it was, it was a huge, huge stunt, you know. Is that, is that it, the one that's going up onto at the at the start where they go yeah, over yeah. that sort of wall and onto the flat? Yeah, I was there when the, and I was watching it and it was, it was, he did twice that day. It was incredible to watch. And, um, uh, you know, the thing is, but, but you said, would I do it? Yes, I would do it if you gave me the funds and the time to go and train. Like, right, give me a couple of years and some of the best, you know, instructors in the world, and you know, I will train to do it. But otherwise, like today, it's like you know, there's, there's some things you can't just have a go at because <laughs> you know you yeah, just kill yourself. It, it and it would be wrong. Had I tried that, I do not have the technical skills, and I would have killed myself. So that's why you're like, no, not today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, yeah, so getting back to the question that you just asked me, which was, what was that? Has again? your life ever? Fought? Oh yeah, sorry. In fact, just in fact, before you answer that, yeah. just quickly sticking with with Bond, did yes. you meet Daniel? Did you meet some of the cast? Were they all cool? 
Yeah, and, and genuinely the war, uh, you know, pe- people, you, you see some telly and you think, oh, it's just, you know, just saying that. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that everyone's like this, but that was the best thing about working. I'm a huge Bond fan. I always have for years. I've got posters, Bond posters up in the kitchen, you know, for, for years and years and years. But the coolest thing about working on that film was the people. Like the stunt department were just like hugely skilled, motivated, disciplined people, but also some of the nicest human beings I've had the pleasure to work with for a long, long time. But so was everyone else, you know, from the producers and all the way down to the lasses that made the coffee uh, and, and the actors, again, all super, super nice people. And they, I didn't have to watch with all of them, but the ones that had any action to do, they would come into the stunt shed and train with us and, you know, we'd do some underwater training with some of them that were involved in the water shots and the fight stuff. So, um, And they were all genuinely lovely, lovely people. Pretty, pretty grounded, normal. Uh, just you know, yeah. So genuinely, it was, it was a really cool bunch of people to work with. Oh, and now we'll go to the question: Have you almost mm. died? <laughs> um, I mean, so I don't think I've ever. Well, it was one time in the force, but most of the time, no. Most of the time, I think things go so. Recently, um, then last year, I was exploring a cave actually in, in the English Welsh border, um, and it's a bit of a. It's a. The reason it's, it's not really been properly explored because it's like. It's like CrossFit with a bit of diving for like 10 hours because you've got a hump all this dive kit through this horrible muddy cave for hours and hours and hours and then you dive and then you surface in your dive kit and you've got to do another dry cave section hump and a dive kit like cylinders and all that weighs a ton and then sump seven so a sump is basically an underwater cave so you imagine between each one two three and you know, all the rest of those numbered underwater sumps is dry passages you have to drag all your kit through got to sump seven and i got to the end of sump seven and there's an air bell surface air bell all good start reading out some new line into the unexplored area and one of my regs just explodes like you starts free flowing what regulator is that is the thing that gives you, it's the little mouthpiece you put in your mouth that gives you um gas in this case air and if you've got you've got two of them you've got you know so you've got redundant systems but this one just just and it just was emptying all my gas so i had to shut it down um and i surfaced in the cave in the little air bell, and I thought, okay, check the other one. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool. I've got enough gas to get out as long as this one doesn't, you know, have any problems. Um, but you just take a moment to yourself because it's a very, very lonely place to be. I mean, if I died there, no one's coming to get your body. You know, that, your body's not getting out of out of there wow. um, ever. And although you might only be a few miles from the entrance, um, and probably about a mile below the surface at this point, just, just below Chepstow Racecourse, actually, um, you may as well be on Mars. Um, and it can be a it's, – it's a, it's a place that, you know, you learn what you like in that sort of situation. And then the key thing there is to take a breath, you know, strap your big boy pants on, and, um, and get quite clinical and kind of detached. It's not a place for emotions. So you go, right, to get out of here, what I need to do is – put this in my mouth and just breathe normally uh, and swim out and just do the job that's in front of you, you know, break it down and do the job that's right in front of me and keep doing that for the next whatever's half hour until I, until I suffer somewhere safe. Wow. So when you're in that moment as a dad, hmm. like how, like is it, you, I, I guess the answer is that detachedness, which I think is quite must be quite difficult to do because so i guess the question really is how do you have this kind of well it's not always high risk but there is i suppose it's higher risk than sitting at a desk in terms of what you do how do you kind of uh manage that with having the boys 
So a couple of things. One, you know, you want to be an inspiration to your kids. Um, and, you know, I encourage them to do, well, you know, relative to them sort of dangerous things safely. So, you know, I let them chop wood, even though they're, you know, well, still seven and five. I, I let them light fires under my supervision, but these sort of things, I let them walk on the back of, you know, walk on top of walls because they need to learn. I don't want them to get too badly hurt, clearly, or, or worse, but I think they need to, you know, dance on the set of boundaries to then learn how to assess risk, how to manage risk, because, you know, threats, dangers, risks will inevitably face them in, in the real world. And if you bring your kids up, or, or indeed anyone, you, you send them a cotton wool and, 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 and think, oh, the, the safest thing to do is to never risk anything. Well, eventually life will, whether you like it or not, hand you something dangerous, something risky, something threatening. And if you have never experienced that before, you will not have the tools to deal with it and you're going to fall foul of it. Whereas, you know, I, for example, think I'm I'm very very capable of dealing with those sort of situations, even if it's not something within my technical remit or my past experience, because I've got a sort of general approach to, okay, this is potentially dangerous. How am I, how am I going to make it safe? How am I going to get through this? So, you know, I think teaching that is, is something that's important. The other thing is, is you know, I have found myself um, almost using them and my wife as kind of a motivator. So as much as I'm saying that, you know, I need to get detached when I was in that situation in, in the cave, I need to get detached. That kind of comes after because that's that's the kind of right. This is That's the how part of it. Mm. You still have the why, you know, and I, I, was, I was there, you know, right, I am not fucking dying here. This is, I am not, I'm determined. It's almost an anger, you know, the thinking of, of, you know, your, your family go, right. This is, this is not how it ends. And I am fucking getting out of here, you know, swearing at myself a lot. Uh, I do, I do speak to myself an awful lot in those situations and then go, right. How do I get out of here? Right. The first thing I need to do is basically switch that part of my brain off. So I've just been motivated and thinking about my family. Yeah. Okay, cool. The best thing I can do for them now is to compartmentalize them, put that in a box, put that to one side because Right now, that is not helpful. You know, um, as kind of harsh as that sounds, that's the best way to serve them. Yeah. Is almost forget about them. Yeah. It just shows it's psychological. Yeah, you've, you've got to be there mentally, haven't but, you? But but like you know, with that's that is like the ultimate extreme thing. Like you know, when you're facing kind of death and in, in, you're staring death in the face, and and it's you know, family motivates you. Then compartmentalize that. Now you've got mm. the how. It's very pragmatic. It's very logical. It's kind of thinking about all the things that you've learned and trained and whatever else. All of that kind of kicking in. So it's a very extreme situation, but actually that mentality really needs to be filtrated into life situations and not just um, life or death situations, but things when they go wrong in life, you you know, you've got choices to make. And and there's, you know, there's an element where you're in complete control of yourself. And I'm going to get on a little of my own bandwagon here, but, you, you know, you're in control of yourself. And what I see out there is that people are not in control of themselves they're not in control of their emotions they act you know rash irrationally and and really there's an element where people need to kind of okay you you go for the your your job and you get rejected like how do you deal with that either you just go and like crazy and like you know you you spiral out of control or you go okay fine i'm gonna deal with the disappointment i'm gonna dust myself off i'm gonna go again that's my bad man (laughs) No, nope. you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I think what's what's I think in exposing yourself to these harsh and potentially dangerous situations, I say potentially dangerous because the whole point is to 
they start off really, really dangerous and then you make them safe, uh, but you know, by, by applying a certain plan or whatever. Um, but exposing yourself to these gives you a certain perspective on on problems and the scale of problems. You know, I'm a believer that human, we're not designed to be happy all the time. You, you know, you don't, anybody who's, you can't be happy all the time and nor should you be. That 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 comparison, you know, it's the, it's the rainy days that make you cherish the sunshine. Um, someone probably said, I'm probably stealing that from somebody, but anyway. Clint Eastwood um, again. Yeah, probably Clint Eastwood. I'm not sure if <laughs> that's thing he would say, to be honest, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's, 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 well, let's think about that. Let's think about him saying that. <laughs> yeah. The word sunshine. I, just, I don't think I'm, that's his his brand. Um, so uh, what are I talking about? So, you know, so I, I think that, and, and we need, we need obstacles and problems in our life to chat off. You know, we need dragons to slay. And if you don't have any, then you'll, you'll kind of make them up or you'll take really small things and make them huge. Mm. You know, um, Everyone's got problems. Like, oh my God, my, my Ferrari's too big to fit in my, my, my garage. You know, I don't know, but, but everyone's got problems and, and everyone, everyone fills their, their problem, you know, bank to its maximum. What you've got to learn to do is try and put these things in perspective. Um, so, you know, if you've been in life other situations or you've been to war or you've, you've, you've done these extreme things and overcome these obstacles, suddenly when somebody's faced with, oh, you know, the electricity's out in the house. Okay. That's actually, let me think, that's not a big deal. And sometimes we think about the worst case scenario can offer me to go, oh, okay, I can, I can calm down now. Uh, in that, you know, and when I, people often ask about giving, because I, I, you know, do a lot of public speaking, and people ask about, um, about how you deal with the sort of nerves of public speaking. So, well, first of all, prepare. And that's the first, you know, make sure your talk is really good and you're prepared and all that stuff. But put the effort in beforehand. I said, and then before you walk, walk on stage, go, fuck it, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter anymore. I've, I've either done the work or I haven't. Because mm. the worst case scenario is what? What's the worst case scenario? You make it for yourself. Okay, and what? You know, mm. you lose your job? Unlikely, but okay. It's not like your kids are going to die or you're going to die. It's, it's, mm. and just by going, what's the worst case scenario of giving this public talk and it going wrong? I might look a bit of an idiot. That's, mm. that's actually the, the worst. And I'm not saying that's a good thing for you. I'm not encouraging people yeah. to go and do that. However, if that's as bad as it gets, yeah, it's not that big a deal. So we, we've been chatting for a short while now. I think we kind of know what sort of person Andy is. So I'm <laughs> going to give you a quick scenario here. What would you prefer to defuse? Um, let's say you're back in the forces, some sort of mm -hmm. military assignment, or mm -hmm. your kids having a meltdown in Pizza Express. Which one of those two would you prefer to defuse? Uh, bombs every day. Um, <laughs> every, every day. Um, the... Yeah, I, I think I come for a chat before we, go, we came. We came on, we started recording. But my kids are pretty feral. We've raised them like wolves. They're pretty feral kids, which is great. I love it. But they're not. They're not. You know, they're not built for taking to nice restaurants. Um, because they don't really have meltdowns. Neither of them really have never have done. Like even the twos and threes, we these tantrums never really happened. Um, so, so I've never really had to deal with it. But I kind of, but I also kind of miss diffusing bombs. I really do. <laughs> it, sometimes they're the same thing, though. How you yeah. approach the situation. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not. No, like no, 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 no. On the contrary, you see, and this is not just me. This is universal from all the all my mates who were in bomb disposal. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and uh, we we all sort of tell the same kind of story. In the diffusing bombs is often a very very zen experience. It's very peaceful because often you leave the 
the ICP, the incident control point, where you're in charge. And often bomb disposal officers are sort of junior ranks. There may be a sergeant or a staff sergeant or a young lieutenant or captain, but fairly, fairly junior. And you've got a major in charge of the, the coordinate infantry squadron surrounding secure in this area, you know, and you've got your phone in the air marshal, like an Iraq and air marshal, the head of the air, British Air Force in, in, in Iraq, to call up him and say, right, you need to put, you're ordering him to put a, a no-fly zone over this device and all that stuff. So you're dealing with... And then you've got your own team and you're looking at the data, what's actually out there. You look at the report from the guy that found it, blah, 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 blah. He's speaking to interpreters. It's all like, it's just a million different channels, you know, and you're ordering people, senior than you around, all that sort of stuff. Your crew preps your kit, he gives it to you. And then no one steps inside the sort of no-go zone, a safe, you know, imagine a safe bubble around the device, um, dictated by how much explosives basically are in the device and shrapnel hazards and that sort of stuff. And the point you step into that no-go zone, because only the, the bomb disposal officer can enter that, the world goes quiet because wow. you can't take a phone in there and you can't take a radio. The world goes quiet. It's this massive, you know, talkative chaos and just suddenly, ah, oh, you can relax. And you do the long walk down to the device. No, no, you, and you're I mean, entire, you can't you, relax. Yes. That's got to be the – how can you relax? Like, I understand the piece, but you can't relax, surely. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't mean get complacent. That would be a very bad idea. <laughs> Not put your feet up. Oh. Yeah, I don't mean. Right then, guys, I don't mean. Let's do this, shall we? Brew, brew. I don't mean crack a roll up in a in a couple of fingers of bourbon and just uh, <laughs> you know get a deck chair out and put your slap shades on. Yeah, um, sorry. Okay, fine. We're on a different page where the word. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know, but you kind of it's more again just that that the kind of the difference of that like it's that mm. chaos and, and you bang 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 okay you, you, can you do that you need to do this you need to do that you do that right you prep that give me that right here we go go you you that's up that's up go go go, go. and then you step in the zone like nothing ah thank god for that yeah. and you can take a breath you can take some time to yourself and you wander down most you see the guys walking down um and it's you know they're kind of strolling. They're taking their time because it's not because they're reticent to get the device. They're going, oh, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to enjoy the peace and quiet. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, so, and, and then as, and when you're on the device, um, actually one bloke described it to me quite well. He went, well, um, this is another uh, bomb disposal guy. He said, the thing is, as far as you're concerned, everything will always be going well. Because after the second that it doesn't go well, yeah. It's going to be over so quickly. You, you never know, know about, about it. it. And I was like, that's a, that's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Jeez. So actually, when, I, when I'm in Pizza Express and the kids are on one. Perspective. I need to go, to go somewhere, pretend go I'm to the toilet. a bomb. Then that's what I've got to go do. Go to the toilet. That's like, that's like the equivalent. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> I just get my kids out. I'm not, I'm not great ones for, for public sort of displays of anything. So, so um, I, I would just, if it was me, I'd just be like, right. We're, we're done. We're out, we're out yeah, we go. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, that's quite an insightful. That's that was quite powerful. Last question: What's the like the opposite? Back to the stunts. Well, although mm. I could talk about that quite a long yeah. time. Your experience there, I feel like that's immense. Really immense. I don't think I've ever. You know, we've spoken to a lot of people. Oh, it's a wish list. But I don't think that last that kind of last little segment was powerful what what's the coolest thing you've ever done in terms of like you look back and you're like i'm so proud of doing that achievement whether it's from forces whether it's a particular stunt whether it's uh i don't know summiting everest or i don't know whatever whatever what's the kind of the moment where you're it's like up there as the number one thing you've done 
Well, this podcast aside, obviously, um, so it would be the second uh, coolest (laughs) thing. Um, It's a very good point. I I, I never give that much thought to us. I mean, I'm I'm terrible for this as well. That in that I'll achieve something and then never really appreciate it. Never take the time to kind of. I'll be like, right, that's done. Move on to the next thing, you know. Um. So let's see. I mean, there's difference between things that you've enjoyed and things you're proud of, you know. Um, yeah, I'm certainly proud of my service in the forces, uh, and we did some good work, um, you know, out in out in places like the Balkans and Middle East and Iraq, and such. Like, you know, especially in bomb disposal, you were you were clearing stuff that was helping not just your own forces but the locals as well. When we were clearing minefields, doing a lot of hearts and mind stuff, that's all that's all good and productive. And when you start, you know, working with locals, actually. You see how much good you're actually, how much practical you should even like even things like in Bosnia, where just you're clearing a few fields, but suddenly the farmers can then use those fields again, which then be used for ten years. You go, oh, this is oh. this is actually making a, a direct impact in, in a very very small manner. And um, I'm involved with a few rescue organisations, so I do I do search and rescue both mountain, flood river stuff and, and cave rescue, and we've we've you know we've we've rescued a few people um, over the last few years from cliffs and from caves and and such like. Um, unfortunately, it's not always the case. Sometimes that, that it's it is body searches you're doing uh, and recoveries, but even that has, you know, you think well at least um, it, there's a, there's a there's a positive impact from the family's point of view that you're doing you're trying to do something good. So, um, you, you know, I don't actually enjoy that as such. Not mm-hmm. not always. Um, not to be proud of though for that. But but yeah, it's like it's something that you go right. This is the when I was doing the studs, like you know, walking and born was such good fun. It was amazing. But I'm I'm in, I'm on, I'm under no kind of illusion that I'm making the world a better place. Um, it was great fun. Loved doing it. Really well looked after. It was you know, and I still love doing them now. Like a bit like skydiving. Like you know, Team GB. I'm very proud of being Team GB. But mm. skydiving out in Arizona at World Championships isn't necessarily making the world a better place. Um, and. I I'm involved with quite a few charities, like a lot of either veteran charities or, or sort of uh, marine conservation charities from the diving point of view, and they're great. They're trying to make an impact in the world, and and but from my point of view, I I tend to find it's easier to make an impact in smaller ways. You know, I mean, I'm you know not a politician. I'm not Mahali gonna. I'm not gonna save the world, but if you can save one person. Um, you know, this month, maybe save one person next month, then, you know, in, in, a, in a very small way, you're trying to make the world a little bit better today than it was yesterday. Here, here. Well, I, well I, think, I think what you need to look at it, maybe you need to look at it as doing Bond, even though you absolutely should have been doing Bond because you are capable. That was your prize for all the other stuff that you do where you do make a difference. That's not a bad way to think about it, yeah. <laughs> It's all, all got, Andy. it's all I've no, got. No, no, I like it. I like it. You know, that's that's what you do. You know, you and you know, you you do the stuff that you enjoy and frankly pays the mortgage. But that, and from a very practical view, you know, doing things like Bond and 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 the, the documentary work, that's what pays, which allows me to then take time off um, to run, you know, search and rescue courses, like take weeks and weeks off to run these courses and commit time and resources to those things, which I otherwise wouldn't be able to do if I wasn't, you know doing the the work that pays the mortgage and continue to pay the mortgage even when i'm not working i I can't believe you've got the time to actually talk to us i feel i feel very honored you're obviously a extremely 
busy, busy man. This is where the I'm camera doing... zooms out and he's actually in a hut on the side of the Himalayan <laughs> mountain somewhere. So when it zooms out, I'm just doing, I'm just doing leg presses under the, under the desk. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah exactly. Get my or in an ice bath up thing. to your waist. I bet it's yeah. something like that, surely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andy, thank you so much. Um, where can we see you next? What can we, can we, you know, see any of your work? Um, we, we talked about a book before we started recording, but that might be oh. next year. Yeah, I think I'm still written the pitch for that. It's actually on a lot of what we've been speaking about, the idea of you know, um, my approach to sort of risk and fear management and how that's applicable to everyone. You know, But um, only because I started doing some podcasts, I started speaking about these very subjects. And I started thinking, I might, I might actually have something useful to say on the subject. I might, I might, even, I might even have a clue what I'm talking about. Even yes. though you know, I've, got, I've got no formal background in like neuroscience or, or psychology. It's like, well, from a practical point of view, I've been there and done it and tried it, and this seems to work for me. Um, but that, that'll be a while. That'll be a while. I mean, um, TV-wise, we've got some stuff potentially filming this year, but again, it's all TBC. Um, but mainly, you know what? Uh, the, the only social media channel I really use is Instagram because, frankly, I haven't got the time or the, or the bandwidth to, to be on multiple places at once. And that's me, my name, Andy Torbett. It's not, you know, I'm not anything weird like, cool. I don't know. Wolverine sixty nine or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, mean like, I feel like that could be quite quite cool. I mean, there, there's, your, just, there's your podcast title. I've just I've just thought I was like, but yeah, that's that's quite a good one. You should have should have kept that yourself. <laughs> right, I'm I'm trademarking that Wolverine sixty nine. Although I'm pretty sure uh, Marvel Comics will probably yeah. will, will wouldn't, wouldn't allow me to trademark Wolverine sixty nine. But um, Wolfie sixty nine. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Just just spell it with a number, like instead yeah. of an O, have a zero. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Anyway, anyway, um, we'll we'll add a link to your Instagram. Um, I, I've actually I, I'm on there, and there's some really cool stuff you've oh, actually. Is that what you've been doing? Yeah, like the oh, back right. catalogue of like, oh, that's a cool video. You've been stalking Andy whilst talking to Andy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the photo of you in all the dive gear. Yeah, I mean it's it's insane. You need that on the wall somewhere. Oh, one one last quick question. This is really yes. quick because I know in, uh, this is really quick. Um, <laughs> what what do your kids think? Like at six and eight. They're probably yep. in that mindset of like they're aware of how cool their dad is, like, or are they like, nah, he's still he's still my dad? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, they've watched me on telly and they've seen some of the films, and they they obviously they, they like watching the videos of me cave diving and skydiving. Just down the weekend, like seeing that sort of stuff. But I think so that they, I think the thing is cool, but but also it's it's normal for mm. them. Like that's not what that's what. I think a lot of them would be surprised about what other dads do because they're yeah. like, "That's what my dad. That's how my dad. That's his job. That's how he yeah. goes to work. He goes, goes to work, and it's cool." And you know, um, because the telework, I've got, I've got friends who are presenters, and some of them are like wildlife kids presenters. So they watch them on telly and then meet them, you know. And that's Which not one a are big we talking, deal. Andy. Which it- one is it? Mr. Backshaw. We've got, yeah, we've got, I've got, I've got a few, like, um, I've really good friends with Chris Van Tulliken, who does, like, Operation Outs and does a lot of medical stuff on the BBC. And then, uh, Monty Hall's a really good friend of mine. Uh, and then Steve, yeah, Steve, Steve Backshaw. I've known Steve for years, like, when he's still doing the really well show, like, God, like 16 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, back then we, we ended up climbing, we did, we did a lot of climbing together. Um, in fact, he came to my wedding and, uh, this is the only last, even though me and Bex have been together for like 18 years, we only got married last year. Um, and, and, the boys were just, you know, hounding Steve about 
because they've been watching Deadly Dinos. So they're just like, Steve Blackshaw. And they always use his full name. They'll come to the Steve Blackshaw, what's your favorite dinosaur? Steve Blackshaw, what would win at this if a, if a Stegosaurus fought a T Rex? You know? And he's, he's, the thing is, these, what you see with Stephen T. Telly is exactly how he is. He's just yeah. super enthusiastic, super, super knowledgeable. Man's an encyclopedia of wildlife, but also he's just a thoroughly decent bloke as well. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of those things where the kids go to school and say, "What does your daddy do? What does your daddy do?" Like, and and you know, a lot of jobs are really important, but on the cool spectrum, <laughs> some jobs that are a lot cooler than others. You know, yeah. might you know, even like you think a, a vet, it's a great job looking after animals, but it's not cool, is it? It's not like, you know, it's not like this level of coolness. Yeah, to be, be fair, though, one of the things they, they they really like the fact they do is the rescue stuff. Yeah, yeah. like they think I think that's probably what they appreciate. They think it's probably the coolest, which is good because I mean, COVID was a great one for perspective. COVID was a great one for going, actually, who's really important here? And it's not your stuntmen or your football players, you know. It's your the bloke who delivers the lettuces to Tesco's yeah. and your nurses and doctors. But it's those those kind of infrastructure people. People, people keep the, the lights on. Um, and I, you know, we, we weren't, movies were shut down, TV was shut down, I wasn't doing that sort of stuff. But what I was doing a lot more of was the search and rescue stuff for various reasons, including we were helping to transport stuff for the police and the ambulance service but we were um you know and she suddenly goes well this if this is a period that shows you what's important then it's showing me what of all the things i do what's actually important um it's true it's a bit of perspective it's true. Um, I, I won't ask any more questions of promise <laughs> <laughs> andy thank you so so much for, for talking to us i have not at all genuinely loved this conversation and hence why i haven't really said much i, I love just it when i can actually as an interviewer sit back and just listen and take it in and learn stuff so thank you very much for that not at all thanks guys cheers uh right gear review i believe we are what's in the boxing it we are i mean that's not what it's called <laughs> what's in the box in it what's right. in the box i'm opening this time aren't i what's in the box yeah I actually use the last thing that we got from the box, the which clippers. is the, the clippers. It's brilliant. Right, here we go. Ooh. Do we need to explain what is what's what's in the box? Oh, what is what's in the box? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, basically we review products and sometimes we review them. Sometimes producer Jack has provided us with a number of different products that are like a lucky dip. So we don't know whether it's useful or funny or whatever. We don't know what it is. We've done loose eat. We've done clippers. We did a smartwatch, uh, a, a rubbish smartwatch. Really bad. Um, it's just still in the drawer, just here. And this is it. Okay, what's in the box? Oh my god! Are they <laughs> headphone <laughs> oh sunglasses? I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger has just walked in the room. I'll be back. Are they headphone? I think they're headphone sunglasses. That's cool. You would so wear BT those. BT glasses. <laughs> if the phone can't make or receive calls, check the Bluetooth on the phone to see whether it has turned on its audio. There's If there's something wrong with the keypad on the phone... Why are you going about? straight to troubleshooting? <laughs> it's just the first page. <laughs> I think they're, like, they're predicting issues with this product. <laughs> <laughs> get it out of the pack uh, it probably won't work here's the reason why <laughs> I mean that's, that's honesty yeah yeah I mean fair play to them and then, and then like a third page switch on or off <laughs> uh, and that's it yeah anyway yeah it's 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 um headphones in Is new that, glasses are they foam are they old school foam headphones foamer 
They are, yeah. They've got foam on them. Oh, my God. I, it, when was the last time we, we saw foam on headphones? I mean, they've got, like, actual buttons. These are, these are vin- Let's these, try them on. They're quite, they're quite like, they're vintage They look quite comfortable as well. I take it back. They're not comfortable at all. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know, you know the... Um, you know the the meme and the gif that comes in with uh, when the headphones come on and the the spliff comes yeah. out. That's what these look like. Yeah, I don't know if I if that's really clever or really awful. I mean, did the headphones reach your ears? Yeah, they did. Me. They don't reach my ears. They don't go in. No, I think they just sit on top. Can you move them? Oh, you can. <laughs> oh, you can move. Oh, they do move. Stuff but, like no, no, they don't move further in enough. In enough for me, they move out, but not in. Okay, there you go. Are they, is that push my ears over? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. That's what's in the box. Let me see if I can play something. Quick. I imagine the sound quality is mm, tinny. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine it's, it's what you would yeah. get from Bose. I feel <laughs> like I've actually got tinnitus. <laughs> <laughs> it's so tinny I have tinnitus yes there's no bass at all oh and they are uncomfy there's something digging into my my thing look the idea's there oh they do do that <laughs> imagine like yes how can I help you <laughs> how can I help you darling oh uh, yes a la- latte please within a minute <laughs> <laughs> I kind of liked it <laughs> yeah what was that darling just oh. say that again Right, there no you go. <laughs> that was in the box. <laughs> Quick, we've got, we got to wrap this up. Right. So earlier, um, we were talking about the ick. So the ick is uh, things people do that put you off them, basically. Gives you the ick. So uh, producer Jack got in touch with our wives, Charlie and Jen, and asked them what gives them the ick about us. So he's jumbled up the list, and we had to guess who said which one. So number one was, when he wheezed at the bathroom door open. JK. It's me. That, I mean, that's not that icky. No. Number two, when he speak burps. Guilty. That's Al. Three, when he strips down to his pants and does weightlifter poses, asking if I feel lucky. I think I demoed that one. That's definitely me. That's Al. When he says he has a tummy ache. <laughs> that's that's <you>. me. <laughs> is it because that's like a child thing? I think it is. Yeah. It's the phrase tummy ache. My tummy ache hurts. It was like, oh, honestly, I feel a bit rough. That probably is a bit yeah. more sexier. <laughs> <laughs> Still not sexy. <laughs> Maybe sexier, but not sexy. Uh, when he sucks his tongue in his sleep because his mum let him suck a blanket until he was a teenager. Yeah, absolutely me. That's absolutely you. <laughs> Six, looking like his dad when he sleeps. What is that about? I'll tell you what it is. We've got a photo of my dad sleeping that comes up on our Echo show. Yeah. And every time it comes up, Charlie goes, oh my God, t- swipe it along, swipe it along. That's what you look like when you sleep. We can't help. That's just the way you... I know. Like, wait, you're not in control of it. <laughs> you're not thinking, oh, I'm going to look my dad tonight. <laughs> the weird little baby noise he makes before he falls asleep. We thought that could have been either, but probably me. It was me. Whoa, okay. <laughs> mm, ah, mm. Do you actually? Mm, mm. I do, yeah. Charlie, you need to I give grunt. that a little record. And number eight... <laughs> When I say, what would you like for dinner? And he says, I know what you'd like for dinner and motions towards his groin. <laughs> yeah, I know. Also, it's me. Sometimes she's vegan. So sometimes I'll say, but you can have meat tonight. No! <laughs> <laughs> so it can get even worse. No, you caveman. I must say, I must say, 
I, how are, I'm surprised they're with us. <laughs> Honestly, they 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 deserve medals. Yeah. Well. 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 Yeah. Or maybe next week we'll do uh, their icks. Oh no, that's not going to get past the line. Shut up. No, you never, no it, won't. <laughs> it, won't. it won't. It won't. Right. We're done. Thank you for listening. Guys, please give us a review, a, a rate, a follow, a subscribe, all of the above. And the most important thing is to share it with your friends. The massive help. Thank you very much for listening. Um, see you soon. <laughs> a Dad's Net original podcast.